good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series looking at where the scriptures are taking us. Is this going anywhere? And as we've been looking at the scriptures, we've seen the story from creation onward and we've gotten to Jesus and what he's done. But there's one thing that really remains that we need to talk about. We've been talking about the Jewish people, the the people founded by Abraham and how God called them. But what do we do with ourselves if we're not Jewish? How do we fit into the story? Is all, are all these wonderful promises that God has for somebody else? Are they for us too? Well, we're going to see as we go into God's word further that he is working not only in the lives of the descendants of Abraham, but all who trust in him. And that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. So let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer, ask for his guidance, and then we'll jump in from there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you that you are the God who calls us to be a part of your people. And as we look at that promise tonight, would you help us to understand better your grace and how you are with us? And also to have a heart filled with humility. We might understand exactly how you are with us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading an article recently about a man named Jesse Hyatt. You probably don't know that name unless you're into a particular form of agriculture. I didn't know his name, but you may have heard of the name, especially if you live in this area, of the Stark Brothers. The Stark Brothers are famous for their orchards and the trees they sell that are grown all around the nation, I believe around the world, and they're based just an hour, hour and a half away from St. Louis in Louisiana, Missouri. They grow, especially they're famous for their apple trees. And those apple trees come in all kinds of varieties, but perhaps none better known than the Red Delicious, the the apple that we typically picture when we think about apples. Well, the Red Delicious was actually an apple run into, discovered by Jesse Hyatt. There was a competition the Stark Brothers held for the, the best apple, and his particular form of apple that he raised. Apples tend to mutate from generation to generation. The one that he ended up with was deemed to be so amazing and delicious it was named, after a little while, the delicious. He wanted to originally call it the Hawkeye, and I don't don't know exactly why. He was from Iowa, so maybe that had something to do with it. But, But the Stark Brothers named it the delicious. First the Stark Delicious, and then when they came out with the Golden Delicious, they renamed it the Red Delicious. And so it was, it was this beautiful, delicious apple, but the original Red Delicious wasn't perfectly red. It had yellow stripes in it, and and while it it worked, it wasn't viewed as the most beautiful apple it could possibly be. And and those yellow stripes, while they apparently are associated, we now know genetically, with what made it taste so good, also made the skin a little flimsier, and so it, it could bruise more easily and it would spoil faster. But over time, someone had a red delicious plant that that mutated and turned it that deep red that we know today. And and so over time, then, the Stark Brothers nurseries have maintained by cutting off branches off of of trees that are already this way and, and engrafting them onto other trees, a line of red delicious that go back 150 or so years that are still around today. And when you eat a red delicious today... It's from that splicing and cutting over years and years because you can't just take the seeds from an apple. The seeds from an apple won't produce the same sort of tree that it comes from. But you can take those cuttings and and engraft them into other trees and 
that's what Stark has done to maintain this line of trees, creating this famous apple that we think of when we think of apples. Now, you might say, I tuned in to think about the Bible. Why are you telling me the history of an apple? Well, it's because Paul is going to talk about a different kind of engrafting, and that's the engrafting of God's people into the existing root of God's people. You see, we often depend on ourselves to think about how we are going to relate to God and, and how we are going to relate to God's people. But just as an apple tree can't maintain the line of Red Delicious because the seeds from one generation will produce quite likely a bitter, unpleasant fruit in the next generation, it takes that, that active maintenance of the nursery company splicing the branches off the good trees onto little seedlings to create more trees that can produce those delicious apples. So too, we need God engrafting us into his people and maintaining us so that we can be a part of his people in the time to come. We're reminded in Romans chapter 11 that, that being a part of God's people is, coming, is something that's rooted in the gift of faith that he gives us. And let's go ahead and turn to Romans 11 where we read about this. Paul says, so I ask, referring to the people of Israel, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, so Paul is addressing a question that was right in the midst of what everyone was wondering at the time, which was as Christianity spread out and it started from the, the disciples who were Jewish and Jesus, who had, who his mother was Jewish, obviously his father is God, but, but he was Jewish as well. Here we have this Jewish line, but we have these Gentiles coming in and, and what do we do with these Gentiles? And many in the early church thought the Gentiles were sort of second class Christians because they weren't fully Jewish and many of them, and we've encountered this before on Steadfast, looking at different parts of Paul's letters. Many were trying to get the Gentiles to, to become Jewish, at least through ceremony and observance of ritual before they became Christian. But then there were also those who started to think, well, God chose me outside of the Jewish people. Maybe I'm special. And so the question is, well, what do we do with the Jews that reject Jesus? What do we do with the Gentiles that accept Jesus? How does that all fit together? It's a question that's still relevant, but takes on a different tone years and years later, where we generally think of Christianity as a Gentile faith. It's not a faith typically associated with Jewish people. There are Jewish Christians, but by the time it's right at the heart of it. And, and Paul is helping the people to wrestle with this, Paul as a Benjamite, as a descendant of Abraham himself, as an Israelite, is wrestling with the idea that many of his own people are rejecting their Messiah. And yet many people are coming in who, who aren't a descendant of Abraham at all. Paul says that, that God doesn't prune the tree of faith the way that we think he would. Because many of these people were thinking, well, as long as I'm a descendant of Abraham... I'm good to go. I'm, I have a ticket to the promised land. I am a part of God's people forever and in eternity. I will have eternal life in God's kingdom. Everything is good. Paul says, but God trims on the basis of faith. Take a look at verse 19. Paul says, then you will say branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. 
but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So what do we see here? There's a lot of grafting going on, much like I was talking about about apples. He uses the, the much more familiar to the Mediterranean people of the time, the image of a grafting of an olive tree. But same concept here. He's talking about cutting off some of the branches that were viewed as less desirable because they didn't have faith and grafting in those who believed in faith in who Jesus is, even if they weren't part of the natural tree, so to speak. They weren't part of Abraham's family tree. And so that's what we see that God does. He, he calls off those who don't have faith and brings in those that do. It's a gift from God. Because no matter how much an apple tree could wish it were a red delicious, for example, it couldn't make itself a red delicious. It can't make itself a, a, a honey crisp or whatever other kind of apple you might like today. It can't do that on its own. It has to be a, someone who, who knows how to work with apple trees, cutting off branches that are producing the undesirable fruit and grafting in the desirable kind of tree. So too for us. You see, that the, the descendants of Abraham at the time were thinking, as long as I'm in the tree because I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm fine. I'm, I'm a part of God's people because I have the right lineage. And so they were looking at their lineage, their, their human genetic code, and saying, well, that makes me important. I, I'm important to God. I'm a part of his people. Paul says that's not the case. But we need to understand wherever we are, whether we are Jew or Gentile, that's not the case. What makes us a part of God's family tree is that he's chosen to put us in it, that he's given us the gift of faith so that we can believe. And, and Paul talks about that earlier in the chapter in verse 7. He says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. God gave the gift of faith to a certain part of his people, enabling them to believe, and the rest turned away as our natural inclinations are, because as sinful human beings, we don't run towards God, we run away from him. How were they hardened? They were hardened by focusing on what they could do. They looked at, like we do, we like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we like to think that we're important, and so what were they doing? They were, were looking at who they were, their identity, and saying, well, I'm important. And Jew or Gentile, we can do this. The Gentiles that Paul is also addressing here were at great risk because if they said, well, but God grafted me and so now I'm important, then they start to pass down, well, we're important to their descendants because God chose us now. They fall into the exact same trap. But what we need to understand is that it's a gift of God. God gives us the faith and whether Jew or Gentile, whatever we might be, whatever ways we might divide up people today, we 
generally don't spend a lot of time on Jew versus Gentile. We, we think about all kinds of other divisions that we can come up with in, in our society, whether it's our national citizenship, our community citizenship, our political affiliation, our, our social gatherings that we belong to, our type of work that we do, our education level. We come up with all these things and we bring our importance in those. And what Paul says is what makes you truly with the status that everyone should want, which is being part of God's family, isn't anything that we can bring to the table. It's God's gift. But God offers that gift to us. He makes us a part of his people. Verse 8, Paul goes on, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? This is where we started the evening. By no means. Rather, their trespass, by, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? It all comes down to God's grace. God pulls in different people, brings them in, so they can experience that inclusion of his, in his people. And then he takes the people who, who thought they were a part of it, but were too proud, and he, he humbles those people, and then he calls them back in too, because God is constantly calling his people back together. Isaiah 11.1 1. God said, There shall come from a shoot forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. You say, okay, what does that mean? But if you think about what we're coming up to, we're coming up to the Christmas season, we often hear that prophecy read, chapter 11 of Isaiah read in the preparations for Christmas, because that's the promise of a Messiah. And we see in that promise that there's this stump, there's this root, this established people that God created in choosing Abraham. He's going to cut a lot of them off like Paul's using that image of grafting for. But what does Isaiah say? Well, from that root, God is going to grow something. He's going to grow a Messiah. And we go on further in chapter 11. What does he say? That that one that's going to come from that stump is going to be assigned not just to the the descendants of Abraham, but to the peoples, to the nations. In other words, all of us who who don't have any genetic relationship to Abraham, but see the Messiah that comes from the line of, of, of David, from the line of Abraham. We're all going to be pulled in together. That's what the promise is. And if you want to dig more into this, we don't have time to look at it all tonight, but I'd encourage you, look at chapters 8 through through 11 of Romans, and there's this beautiful picture that uh, of Paul wrestling with some of the hard questions about this, but ultimately where it comes down to God's grace that that he chooses us. And whether we're in the, what we think of as the in-group or not, we can celebrate the gift of grace. That presents us with a question, am I living as one who is chosen by grace? Am I living with the joy and the freedom knowing that that I haven't earned a place in God's favor, but he's chosen me? That as long as I look to him and as long as I look to, to, to what he has done, as long as I look to the gospel, then I have hope because in that, that promise that God's given us, 
He's awarded us a place at his table, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. We have to make sure though that we keep keep our eyes in the right place. And that was the problem for God's people where they started to, to see themselves in the time leading up to the Messiah, in the time where Jesus is ministering and they're missing what Jesus is doing, and in the time with the disciples when, when people question, why are you letting these Gentiles in? They'd gotten so fixated on who they saw themselves to be, they no longer saw the grace of what God had given them. So they didn't want to give it to others. Where am I today? Am I keeping my eyes on the gospel and what God's doing? Or are you keeping your eyes on the gospel and what God's doing? And when the church does, it prospers and grows and brings more people into God's kingdom. But when we start to look at ourselves and our own importance, things spiral out of control. A few weeks ago, I saw this video or a video like this going viral. And it's a bunch of ants going in a circle. And I'd never heard of this, but this is known as an ant death spiral. And what happens is that the ants who normally follow the chemical trails that they leave to, so they can get back to the colony, somehow it gets messed up and they just see the trail that they're leaving for each other and they just start following each other. And, and ants apparently don't have very good vision, so they just start following each other in a circle. And they follow each other and they follow each other until eventually they die. You can actually go online and there's advice on how you can, if you see ants stuck in a circle like this, you can try to break the circle for them so that maybe they don't die. And apparently it's somewhat challenging to do. But they just keep spiraling around because they're looking at each other rather than looking to the colony where they're safe and where where life is. And when we start looking at how important we are to the church and how important our line is to the church or how important our particular little church is to the church, and we're not looking to the gospel and the grace that actually allows us to be a part of the church, we go into our own death spiral. And I believe when we look at, well, why isn't the United States as Christian as it used to be? Or why is a particular church closing? You know, sometimes other things happen, but an awful lot of it has to do with us falling into this trap. We we become self-important and we start following each other around in our self-important attitude and, and looking at those outside that that need God's grace, but forgetting that we're beneficiaries of God's grace and instead thinking about how important we are and we quit doing what God's called us to do. And we quit looking to the, the home colony of the gospel and, and just to our own importance and we spiral into death. Because we think that we belong because of what we're doing. But again, Paul reminds us that that isn't the case. Paul says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the first dough offered as first fruits, as the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Like I mentioned earlier, the Gentiles were at risk of falling in the exact same pattern that had caused some of the Jews to be cut off. They, they were missing what Jesus was doing because they were so focused on themselves and their own importance. The ones who weren't, the ones that we've been talking about a little bit, for example, Nicodemus on Sunday nights, we talked about last Monday night as well, that, that wanted to know more about what God was doing in this kingdom. The apostles are a prime example of this. They, they heard the message of Jesus and they followed him. 
the ones that, that saw their hope in, in Jesus and not in themselves, they, they stayed on the tree, but, but those who looked into themselves and their own self-righteousness were cut off. But Paul wanted to remind those that were being grafted in, don't follow the same pattern. And the, the ugly truth is we, we do. We, we keep trying to follow the pattern of self-righteousness because it makes us feel good and it makes us feel in control. Paul says, don't do that because it's destructive. It will put you into that death spiral. Romans 10.3 Paul says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's his summary of what was wrong with God's people at the time that Jesus came. They thought they could do it on their own. And so there's this severe thing that Paul talks about that some of them are cut off. But he notes that it's not just a severe thing, it's a kind thing. We talked about this a lot last night. Paul says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And just like we were talking about last night, while judgment seems severe, and this sounds severe, God takes his people that he's been, been bringing along, he's been cultivating for generations, just as those apple trees have been cultivated for generations, and he just starts seemingly whacking off branches. What in the world is going on here? Sometimes when he starts to trim us today as the church, we think, why is God allowing this to happen? Why is he allowing churches to close? Why is he allowing the places we live to be less Christian? We need to ask the question, where are we looking? They need to ask the question, where are we looking? Are we putting pride in ourselves? We're putting our place of boasting our security in God. So we can't boast of our own righteousness because our own righteousness is, is useless to do anything, but, but God's righteousness is good. Are, are we concerned about being important to ourselves or are we wanting to make other people a part of God's kingdom? Are we showing care to others? Or care for ourselves. That's what it really boils down to. And I look today at so many of the, the factions that we see fighting in the church. We see it on the right and the left. The, the Christian nationalists uh, on the right and the ex-evangelicals on the left. And, and what are they doing? They're, they're saying, well, all those other people are, are somehow not as special as part of the church as I am. And I, I have an insight into it. And so you should follow me instead. And they start rejecting parts of what the gospel says for other parts that make them more important. We see this in, in those that belong to a very old church and can say, look, I'm a part of this long heritage. I'm important because I'm a part of that. Or a new church, look at me. I'm important because I'm not sticking with all those stuffy old organizations. I'm in something new that's fresh that must be more godly because of it. What are we part of that we think is making us important? The answer is anything other than we're part of God's kingdom. We're part of those whom Jesus has called in as unworthy sinners that he's called his own. If, if our importance is anywhere other than that, we're in deep, deep trouble. If it's, if it's in what nation we have citizenship in, or what socioeconomic class we're in, or what language we speak, or, or what we look like, or who we know, if it's in anything like that, it will fail. Because what makes us delicious as God's people aren't those things that we think are important. Not being a Jew or a Gentile. It's being God's. It's interesting with that story of the Red Delicious, and 
I didn't realize this until just recently, but the Red Delicious had been for many, many decades the most popular apple in the United States. And it's still very common. If you go to a cafeteria, if you go into a gas station, what do you find? You find a Red Delicious for sale. And yet the Red Delicious is no longer the most popular apple in the United States. And the reason is most people, when they bite into one, don't find them all that delicious. And maybe if you think back to a time in the past and think, that used to taste better, you might not be wrong. Because you see, as I mentioned earlier, there were undesirable characteristics in the original Red Delicious. It had stripes, it didn't have the thickest skin so it could spoil faster, these sorts of things. And so they kept moving to, to cultivars that, that had fewer and fewer of those characteristics. But the problem is, as they got to the things that seemed more desirable, the beautiful shiny red surface, the, the skin that didn't bruise easily, these sorts of things, those things were also taking away from what actually makes us want to eat an apple, which is when we bite into it, what's inside tastes delicious. It's, it's just the right sweetness and tartness and, and, and awakens our taste buds. Instead, it became kind of a, a bland, sort of almost character of itself. That's what happens to the church when we focus on all these things that we see as, as ways to feel important in it. And just as the Red Delicious is now falling out of favor, and as of 2018, it was no longer the most popular apple, and, and the, the market share it has is continuing to decline. And I've now even read some people are fearing that eventually it will just banish this important apple that's a part of our history. People just won't bother to grow it any longer. So, too, we see at times the church contracting. And when we do see it contracting, why is that? What we should do is look at where we're building ourselves up. And ask how we can build up God instead. Because, you see, the kingdom is still moving. The church is still growing around the world. And when it's not growing, we should ask, well, how can we focus more on Jesus? Now, sometimes that will mean that it will explode in that moment. But let's not look to those numbers either. That's not the point, because then we're going right back into self-importance. Let's look to Jesus and let him do what he's going to do. Let him cultivate us as those who are, are sweet and refreshing and, and bring life to people. Because our deliciousness doesn't come from our own acts. Our deliciousness doesn't come from how wonderful our, our individual church is, or how big it is, or how small it is, or, or how contemporary it is, or how traditional it is, or how politically savvy it is, or how politically apathetic it is. It doesn't come from those things. It comes from God. That can be a little unnerving. Because that means that we're not in control. But it should also give us great hope because if we're not in control and our purpose is purely to proclaim that we are people undeserving of God's grace who have received it to other people who are unworthy of God's grace and need it, it also means that God's in control of what happens to us. That our fate doesn't lie in, in a constant cosmic scale weighing us out to see if we're worthwhile to keep around, but rather in the Heavenly Father who says that you are worth keeping around. We just have to keep our eyes on the home colony. The home colony of God's kingdom, his gospel, his grace. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we think an awful lot of things are important that aren't. But would you help us to make much of you and little of ourselves? Would you help us to discard those, those identifiers we like to toss around that somehow make us the in crowd versus the out crowd, the, the things that allow us to look down on other people? And instead, would you help us to see only one thing, that there are those who, in your goodness and your mercy, you've given your grace to, and there are those that you've called us to love and proclaim that grace to, that they might too be part of that group. That's all it really boils down to. Would you help us to be faithful to your word? 
and in being faithful to see that your word reminds us time and again it is you who add the value, you who add the deliciousness, you who add the security. You help us to rest in you, to have comfort in that, and to have humility in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight, and I would encourage you, please do like and share this video. You can help us to get the delicious message of the gospel out to more people. Lots of people hear things about the gospel. They, they, they hear about the church, and they hear things that aren't delicious. They're, they're bitter and unpleasant, and they're not bitter and unpleasant in a way that God is using to transform them. They're bitter and unpleasant in a way that causes them to run because it's not God's truth that's causing them to run. It's our own self-righteousness. We need to admit that we do that. And, and come to where our hope really lies. And, and I hope that you'll help to share that message by sharing this video. Of course, I love it when you leave comments in the, in the comment box below as well. It's great to get to talk to you. It's great to get to pray for you. I always love to hear from you. You can email me at tim at littlehills.church. It's a delight when you do. And let me just remind you, we're wrapping up this series next week. Please do come back as we'll look at the restoration of all things, how the story is going to wrap up. We're not there yet, but God is going to bring everything together. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Also, we're wrapping up our series on Sunday nights in person at Little Hills. And I encourage you, come join us, whether you can join us online or in person on Sunday nights, 5.30 p.m. as we wrap up Born of the Light this weekend. Jim is going to preach, I know, a wonderful message looking at one of the best verses ever, John 3.16. So please do join us for that as well. And I can't wait to see you there and back here next Monday night. Have a blessed week.